This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. This is an extra fun episode of the podcast because for the first time in over a year, I'm recording with a guest uh, remotely. I am thrilled to be talking to my friend, writer, producer, singer, appreciator of board games and cats, one half of the comedy music duo, The Double Clicks, and many more wonderful things, Laser Molina Weber. Hello. Hi, Joseph. Oh, my God, it's happening. <laughs> it's finally happening. I'm so excited to be doing this. I've been having just a, a ton of fun uh, doing Obsessed uh, with my wife and co-host, Sarah. But it's really fun uh, to do the this kind of traditional version of Obsessed that I have not done in so long. I know. It's wonderful to talk to you. I've, I, I mean, I'm a big Obsessed fan, and I'm really glad that, I mean, obviously, Sarah is the best Obsessed guest, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be one. I'm very happy for you to be one, too, because you've you've been on the podcast uh, many times, which I really appreciate. And it was really yes. weird and fun for me to go through kind of my my ritual of preparing, which I'm really used to that physically being also like getting my apartment to look, you know, remotely presentable yes. when a friend or a guest comes over. And I had that moment where I started dusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can um, I, if you want, I can make a comment about your Star Wars figures and your nice small table and your um, Zoom as if we were doing it in person. But I know. Yeah. We're not. So I, I would love that if you wanted to just uh, take a wild guess at how dusty my apartment is. I oh, OK. Feel. So, gosh, you got a lot of Star Wars figures here. They're kind of dusty, huh? <laughs> they are. I need to clean on those a little bit more. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now this feels like a totally traditional episode of Obsessed. If you use, if you had force powers, could you use them to dust? And where would the dust go? Oh, yeah. I think if you are really skilled, that would be a great uh, Jedi trial uh, to just open the window and float all the little dust particles out of your apartment and into the air and probably accidentally into somebody else's apartment. Now I feel like a jerk. Would that be easy because they're light or hard because it's specific? I think it would be really hard because it's okay. so specific and they're so small. All right. Thank you. I'll write that down. <laughs> Thank you. And podcast over. No, we are... <laughs> We are here to talk about many fun things. Our big topic is robots. Before we even get into robots, uh, mm -hmm. I want to talk about one of the reasons that you are busy making the podcast round, uh, which is uh, to promote this new musical, Teaching a Robot to Love. Yes. Could you please tell me absolutely everything about that? I would love to. I wrote a musical with uh, incredible composer uh, E. Aaron Wilson. Um it's called Teaching a Robot to Love, a double clicks musical, kind of. It's a it, it's it's a lot there we no no official log line yet, I guess. <laughs> it's a double click musical, it's a sci-fi musical, it's a queer retelling of the Frankenstein story. It's a story about a bunch of friends in the fictional Bay Area in a city called Nanotropolis who have summer internships. They accidentally create life by using a human brain as a hard drive. And then that life, which is kind of like a Siri kind of robot, decides that it uh, wants to be a person. And so it's a little bit about living in a body that's not the right body for you and um, 
people who want to be brains and boxes and brains and boxes that want to be people <laughs> um, and learning learning how to be a person and being friends and there's a, a love story and um, accepting people for who they are and for who they want to be and uh, a lot of stories lots of cheese and hedgehogs and um, <laughs> the movie hackers is referenced and yeah it's it's I'm very proud of it. <laughs> It took, uh, it's been something I've wanted to do for a long time. You, you know that I've wanted to make a musical happen. You wrote one with me, um, <laughs> but it has just seemed an impossible feat. Um, and we finally, uh, got this done. It helped that I was locked in my house and had nothing else to do. <laughs> um, and it, we're finally releasing, we, well, obviously we, we weren't able to stage it, but we're releasing what we're, what's called a concept album, which is the, just the music, um, and it sounds really good. That is great. That sounds so amazing. Like, I'm so happy for you because I know that's been a goal of yours. Uh, but not only does the musical sound like very much in in your wheelhouse of what you're truly passionate about as a person, but also uh, so many great ideas that have floated around in in your oeuvre as the double clicks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The the description and just the plot is just so engaging. And then I think you have a great tag to the log line when you say yeah. it's got cheese and hackers references. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I love cheese. Um, you know, I wrote the musical before I read this book, but Becky Chambers is my favorite author. And, um, I'm sure we'll talk about her a little bit when we talk about robots, but she wrote a book recently and there's, in, in this book, there's all these aliens sitting around a fire and they talk about how weird humans are because humans <laughs> make cheese out of the milk out of, of other creatures and how it's like so gross. Um, <laughs> it's like a very uniquely human thing. Um, and that's uh, that's part of this musical is like what makes us uniquely human. Um, and cheese is one of those things. It's also just like bringing some people together over food is one of the big themes of the musical. And one of the characters um, is very stressed out over having a party, which is based on a party that I had that your wife gave to. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, it's all, it's all very tied together about that. Those very human experiences that include cheese. That is so great. Uh, I love cheese, but I, because of the flavor, but also just because, yeah, it's uh, it, you can spiral off into all sorts of uh, strangeness about human reality Yeah, <laughs> by eating true. some smoked Gouda. So very excited for that. We're also so, the only species that has made the film Hackers, as far as I know. So, <laughs> so far, right? Eventually, all yeah. species will make Hackers. Exactly, right? That's the theory? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the album that's coming out, uh, the album is it's available for pre-order now, and then it's coming out on November 19th, and that yes. is the songs, right? Yeah, it's the whole song. So it's it's like a Broadway cast album. Um, it's twenty songs. It's an hour long, which is the biggest thing I've ever made. Um, and you'll you'll get the whole story from it. There's an incredible cast, including Zach Reno from the Off Book podcast, who's also been in a bunch of TV shows and movies. Um, and uh, Amy Dallin, Elisa Pearl, Xander Genere, and Bonnie Gordon from um, the Library Bards, and then Aubrey and I from the Double Clicks. Um, it's an amazing group of people. Um, and the soundtrack includes everything from delightful little double clicks, ukulele numbers to dubstep and tap dancing. <laughs> <laughs> dubstep, 
tap dancing cheese hackers this is yeah. amazing yeah. um now i know you did uh record a reading right of the yes. entire musical is that just something that's uh available to uh people who backed it on kickstarter or is that available to people who just check out the album and say i want to hear it all yeah right now that's only available to kickstarter backers we recorded kind of like a radio play version or a staged reading i guess is what you would call it um we may release that right now we're hesitant to like lock in the canon of the script because we kind <laughs> of want to see if somebody would be interested in helping us produce it um and there may be more workshopping that happens before that gets locked in um but uh yeah there is a two-hour version of the reading that for kickstarter backers and i i would guess people who pre-order it in specific ways that will will be able to at least watch once if not get their hands on because it was an absolute delight to put that together um, we only have read it together once because of COVID. <laughs> so the first and only time that everybody got into a room. Uh, got it. Really like, really oh, that sounds great. And it, totally relatable. I think a lot of people in the 21st century have some form of canon anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Um, when should I make this life choice canonical? Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, you're. what's it called? Demo love or something like that? Like the first time you hear something. I have a real uh, sympathy for my favorite band, They Might Be Giants, and they have a song called Another First Kiss, and there's there are two versions of that song, and both of them are good, but the first one that they released um, is the, quote, canonical version, and the second version, <laughs> which is, like, very nice and a lovely love song, people are like, oh, this is BS, it's no good, you know, they ruined it. It's like, really, it's fine, but, like, you know, you can't, um, you can't, you can't, I, I understand people, people love, um, people love the first thing they hear and they feel like they have to choose. This is actually Joseph. I'm, I'm in grad school right now for psychology and media and like learning why people form attachments like this is a big thing that's deep in my head. And so I'm get, you know, you know, you just get paranoid. You don't want to disappoint people. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I love this topic. I think yeah. about it a lot because of the, all of the different uh, fandoms that I'm engaged yeah. in. So many of them are generational, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, James Bond, all of it is generational of people are so attached to where they began and sort of define the thing is the thing exists as the way I first encountered it. Yes, <laughs> and absolutely. And then when it, it shifts, it can be really, really uh, difficult for people. This is true about stories. It's also true about just like facts. <laughs> like you're more inclined to believe something that's the first thing you heard, regardless of whether it's true. Like yeah. the side of the story that's the first side of the story you heard, you know, regardless of whether it's actually backed up by statistics, you know, like that kind of, it's just, yeah, you form that attachment. And the more you, the more time you've spent believing it, the more you want it to be true. It's very interesting. Yeah. Is, your mind wants to believe things. It doesn't want to unbelieve them. Is that called the primacy effect or do I just believe that? Cause oh, that's yeah. the first thing I heard. I, yeah, let's go with that. And then everybody <laughs> on the podcast who hasn't heard something different will also believe that that's true. <laughs> Perfect. Well, this is kind of funny because I usually begin the actual interview about the main topic kind of <laughs> from a primacy perspective of asking people of what their initial experience with the thing is. So let's uh, yeah. let's dive into robots from that perspective. Please. Uh, what is the first time you were aware of robots? What are your like first robot memories? 
You know, that's really funny that you ask that because I didn't think about that before this, but I am in my head um, thinking about this puppet that I had when I was a kid um, that was a a robot puppet and um, it was silver and it had little hands. It was like mm, (laughs) maybe, maybe 18 inches tall was plush but then you opened up the middle compartment and the middle compartment had this like little plastic tube so you could rotate its head around wow um yeah it was like a a humanoid you know a human form droid um but with like kind of a triangular head um so yeah i think that was probably the first robot so i had it was plush but it did have hard parts too yeah, it was it was a it was soft on the outside, hard on the inside, like me. <laughs> um, yeah, it had just like a little plastic dowel in the middle so that you could rotate its head around. Okay, uh, what was your what was your emotional connection to it then? Um, was it like was this like a you know stereotypical teddy bear or stuffed animal? Like this was your no, your not, buddy? Not really. No, I was way more into dinosaurs. Um, back then but for some reason that really just popped out to me I remember really liking the parts of it like it was super shiny it had antennae that were kind of bouncy just like very very cool vibes all around very aesthetic very good aesthetic yeah Um, I that that's my main robot thought when I I'm trying to think of like actual robot connection I mean it probably was like a star wars no no it would have been star trek it would have been data right um because we watched um the next generation back when it was like coming out um uh when or at least when it was in reruns because i was born in 87 so that was around when it was airing um and i remember we would watch and um deep space nine yeah. And that, you know, the Ferengis and the, and Worf, I remember very clearly, but I also do, I remember Data, like, Data is very significant for me because he's got that, like, but how, what are people, how do people think? And like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the very stereotypical, like, neurodiverse robot, right? Like, please explain humanity. And then I'm trying to do humanity, but am I doing it right? Um, and uh, not blinking and the weird eyes and the horrible skin and stuff. Um, <laughs> it's a very, very formative, I think, d- data vibes. Big fan. Yeah. So were you just, were you drawn to data uh, without being able to sort of make that connection that that um, he, he's like you? Or, or did you feel like, I like, were you cognizant of, I like him because he's asking the same kind of questions about the world that I am? Ooh, I don't think I, I had that conscious attachment. I think I I I just like weirdos. I'm a big <laughs> fan of weirdos. Um, I mean, I like Gonzo and I like, you know, that kind of just like the person who doesn't fit in and is kind of trying and everybody's like, oh, you're trying. <laughs> you know, the thing I like about Data, especially when Dr. Pulaski isn't around, right? People like defend him and they love him and they're like, you're, you're doing it. Um, and that's that's sort of lovely about that character. Um, I also remember having a strong, weird connection with C-3PO. Okay. Um, We've had this conversation before you and I, not on the podcast, but other people (laughs) are probably listening. 
um, about C-3PO, like everybody hates him, right? Because he's so annoying, but he's just like so hard just trying to keep everybody safe. He's like, this is my programming. I've been told that this is dangerous, which is true. (laughs) And just trying to be like, hey, everybody, let's be safe. Um, And that's just like very relatable vibes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like, don't yell at me for just telling you the rules, you know, Um, which in a normal situation, if I wasn't hanging out with the heroes, this might be a helpful piece of information for you. Yeah, there's so much to love uh, about both Data and 3PO. They're really fascinating to, because they both do have a that sort of like, well, look, I'm a really friendly presence. I'm here to help. I have a lot of information. I have a lot of skills. And, you know, there's that very friendly vibe in Next Generation where, like you're saying, everybody is, <laughs> you know, cheerleading Data. of Like, let's go. Hey, you want to learn how to tell jokes? Here's a Joe Piscopo. Let's go. We'll figure yeah. it out. Uh, and then 3PO's got this weird kind of everybody's mad at him because they they almost never want to hear the numbers they almost never want him to translate which is his actual job yeah <laughs> and then there's this great layer to me uh of him that that's almost kind of like this flip side of data where he sort of prides himself on understanding how to communicate because he is a translator and he doesn't yeah. you know technically he does it really really well he knows what different uh aliens are saying to one another but he's also just terrible at reading human cues like when he interrupts han and leia kissing right yeah (laughs) and expects them to be excited because he you know isolated the negative power coupling he's just doing his best and nobody has any (laughs) any sympathy for for his feelings it's just it's just too bad yeah Um, it's very much it's very relatable yeah um so (laughs) At what what age did you start to be able to go like, oh, I see a pattern of the kinds of characters I relate to, people who are doing their job, they're doing a good job at them, they mean well, and then sometimes Mm -hmm. people are kind of cranky about it. Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't think I've got, I got deep, deep into into that until like pretty recently, like maybe last 10, five, 10 years, there have been robots that have been like, really amazing um but i think i think something i remember i don't know i i haven't i i didn't spend a lot of time analyzing media or myself or maybe i did but i don't remember um (laughs) so i i remember I think the next big thing I remember about specifically this topic is when BB-8 came out. Yeah. And everybody was trying to decide their gender. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that was like a moment for me where I was like, why do we care? Let BB-8 be themselves. (laughs) And that I think it's more, it's more just like, robots can be so many different things that I really relate to, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, R2-D2 is way too chill for me, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I'm very competent. But but that, like, kind of that specific conversation. And then I started reading these incredible books that have these kind of robotic or synthetic android whatever 
Um, there's a very important distinction I just want to say for your listeners that <laughs> I don't care about. Um, that and and that um, that I, I've been thinking about a lot more recently. Like it, just like that meditation on what makes us a person, and like yeah. how that really manifests itself very interestingly in fiction when you're talking about somebody who's not a person. Right. So you're really intrigued by robots also as a blank slate that can they can be anything and they can say anything about humanity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up, too, because when I had asked you uh, about topics that you wanted might be uh, obsessed about to, that might relate even to the musical, you you brought up robots. But then you also brought up uh, this uh, trope uh, called the non-human, non-binary trope. Can you explain that? Yes, um, I would love to. So this is a, a, um, a trope that a lot of people have feelings about, like with a lot of tropes where a character in media who, you know, might be like the token non-binary genderless representation is frequently somebody from a different planet or is, a you know, an animal or a robot. Um, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, a lot of non-binary people like me relate so hard to robots. Um, but also um, it, it, you know, contributes to like othering of people. Like it's the same thing with like queer characters. And even like, if you can look any sort of person who is an other um, in our, you know, Terran universe, you can look at sci-fi <laughs> frequently are being made into aliens. Like, you know, Klingons and so on. Um, but in, in specifically the non-binary, um, the non-binary, uh, non-human trope, there are, uh, um, there are so many robots, <laughs> um, who are like, <laughs> I don't have a gender. Have you watched Star Trek Discovery yet? I have. Yes. Um, or not, not, sorry, it's not Star Trek Discovery, the new one, the Star Trek, um, uh, Prodigy. No, I have not watched Prodigy. Okay, yet. there is a non-binary robot in that, um, which is <laughs> great. I, I mean, I have like, I don't, I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about it, but I it's it's a huge thing. Um, shapeshifters, right? They frequently don't have gender. It's it's uh, some people say it's like it's a way of avoiding including like real non-binary representation, yeah, or to dehumanize non-binary people. Um, or it's like well-intended, but not quite like, well, it would be cool if in addition to all of these people who fit on the binary gender spectrum, there was also a person who didn't fit on the binary gender spectrum in this film or book or whatever. Yeah, I can see how this would be uh, really challenging and have a lot of different viewpoints because... Yeah. Uh, for me, um, and please, uh, you have the actual life experience, so please tell me if I'm full of hooey. Yeah. That, yeah, obviously, if you see a fictional character of any kind that you relate to them, there there is a power to that, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's also that, for me, that giant history, specifically in science fiction, where uh, issues that maybe would get censored or that, you know, people yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed to talk about, you'd create some sort of... Uh, analogy and and have it in yeah. science fiction because otherwise you wouldn't be allowed to talk about it at all yeah. so with that huge history there it feels difficult to say like okay well then 
if we're if the only non-binary character you have is a is a cloud yeah. are you saying that we have to do that because we can't just have a human character who is non-binary right no that's interesting i mean i there the the thing that i'm hitting up against right now is i mean and i think that the answer is just like just more right we just have to write more and more characters and like we put all kinds of people into our stories right and that's um the solution to a lot of our problems is like, there's never just one of each, whatever kind of person in your story. Like if you can avoid that, then you're not saying that all people of this kind are this thing. Right. Um, then it, it makes the whole, your, your tropes are less damaging that way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I find it interesting, this thing, because some of my favorite characters in the in, that I've ever read are non-binary robots because I freaking love robots. Like I, <laughs> I love them, and I. But I mean, I also like people, but I like robots better. Um, <laughs> and also, this musical I just wrote has a non-binary robot in it. It also has a non-binary person um, because I knew that people were going to get mad at me. But I, um, I think that my kind of argument is like. Well, cis people get to write non-binary robots all the time. <laughs> I would like to also write a non-binary robot because that's how I feel. So I think I should be allowed to. We'll see if that comes out. But um, it's, a, yeah. it's a really interesting. I, I, I think it's an interesting discourse for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and for me... Um, the, you're you're writing this from a lived experience and it sounds like with um with your musical you are writing it from a point of discovery right like yeah the, the robot isn't just like i'm one of the three sidekicks yeah <laughs> right? Right, right it's an active uh journey through these ideas yeah yeah i mean it's definitely got metaphors for the the trans and non-binary experience that are not the trans and non-binary experience because I didn't really want to write a musical about being sad about coming out really I wanted it to be a sci-fi story kind of like you know your Frankenstein or Little Shop of Horrors that's actually about something else like like, like you're yeah. talking about with sci-fi right like that's the reason we like sci-fi is that you get to go different places and learn about home yeah um, oh, that is such a great way to say that <laughs> it's it's the things that we you know it's the things that we love, but it's, uh, it does, it does, it creates discourse. So why not? <laughs> it does. Yeah. But man, I, I love that, that very, very simple, elegant turn of phrase. You go somewhere to learn about home because I feel like yeah. uh, sometimes that's, that can be like the disconnect, right? Cause just in myself and particularly talking about star Wars a lot, I recognize yeah. that I love it for the fantasy. I love it for the, like, well, I can never see, you know, I'm probably not going to see a, a lizard guy like Bosk just walking around. Right. You know, yeah. and then there, and there is the power fantasy of it of like, yeah, I, I'm not, I can't dust uh, my action figures with my mind. That's kind of a cool power fantasy. Yes. But then there's that danger of just staying in the sort of fantasy part of it and not go, not saying I'm going to this fantasy place so I can learn about home. And like, ultimately the most valuable thing about star Wars to me is like truly, uh, you know, trying to uh, internalize light side dark side stuff of like well 
uh, you, you can give into anger very easily. And for me, it's like, yeah. well, the most meaningful thing to Star Wars is, you know, it reminds me not to send an email late at night when I'm pissed. Because <laughs> 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 it's so easy to do. You know, it, the dark side yeah. is quicker, easier, more seductive. Are you upset about something? Well, then lash out, you know, and that to me is really about you go to this faraway weird place to learn something about home. That's yeah, that's very true. And also, sometimes uh, it's harder to dust your apartment than to just knock everything over. <laughs> that's true. But I would never knock over my action figures. <laughs> They're my friends. Uh, getting back to robots, though. Yes, um, please. So uh, have you ever liked robots uh, in fiction where they weren't friends? Have robots always been friends? Or have you had times Ooh. where do you like mean robots? You know, armies of stomping robots. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think so. Um, trying to think. I mean, you've got your like, I feel like a lot of times robots are misunderstood, which is hilarious when you think about programming and stuff. Um, like your Iron Giant or whatever. Right. Um, I think, I mean, there's that, that, that story particularly, you know, it has, it's such a good metaphor right for people and of that like when you imagine another person you can only see what they what their effect on you and not what's going on inside them right yeah. and that's what that story is about and like all we all just want to be understood <laughs> <laughs> um but frequently like i would say with like the um the the adats which i guess is a vehicle um yeah but the little clone monsters, um, they're not clones, probably. Um, okay, what are the little guys in Attack of the Clones called? Oh, the Geonosians? The, the bugs? The, the robots? Oh, the robots are the, yeah, the B1 battle droids. The B1 battle droids. I feel like they don't have, like, a lot of feelings. Like, individual, like, I'm motivated by my love for my family back home or something like that. <laughs> I want to be Superman. Yeah, it's really funny because yeah, exactly what you're saying about mm -hmm. about Iron Giant that sort of trapped by the perception of you or mm -hmm. you know, somebody programmed you to be this way but you grew and you changed and you evolved or maybe you don't want to be what you were programmed to be. All that stuff is really powerful. And I mean, that's that's messed up, right? The like <laughs> how, what are we all programmed to be and what have we what is society, what have our parents programmed us? to believe is right and wrong what like inputs have we received in our lives and then like how can we overcome those you know what kind of knock on the head or like rerouting of our programming do we need to be able to say i am superman and Right yeah whatever. yeah i think that's one of the most powerful things to robots about robots uh yeah. to me and yeah the, the b1 battle droids are kind of one of the weirdest robots <laughs> yeah in existence to me because they're not super scary looking right and they're even kind of played for comedy where they have the little yeah. roger roger mm -hmm. and then it, they're not, not deeply discussed but in the clone wars animated series they they joke around a lot like they always oh, no. have jokes and you learn about things they want like there's like jokes where like one of them goes one of them gets blown away and then the other one goes like yay i just got promoted and then that one gets blown away and this was weird sort of like they're kind of there for comedy but this picture emerges where it is about their programming we're like they're kind of cheaply mass produced to overwhelm their opponent yeah but they're just kind of they're literally kind of 
built born into this like they don't know why they're fighting they don't care it's just their programming they, they care yeah. about like just sort of like ah, oh, this is a long walk i could use an energy or there's some oil they're like they're so human <laughs> i so i really want to ask you this so i'm not even gonna apologize um okay so the droid revolution that is brought up in the film what is it is it mandalorian or is it uh, Rogue One? solo is yeah l3 solo? okay that's like so messed up <laughs> because prior to that we're like okay we're just using droids as appliances right and we're all mm -hmm. okay with that and then we're just we're liberating them so that so they have agency now like is that like that's so weird right as a canon thing oh, for yeah. star wars Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, there's stuff in a lot of the the books about uh the droid Gatra, which is kind of a, a droid uh, uh slash part gangster organization, part sort of liberation. So uh, amazing. There's there's been some sort of storytelling nibbling at the edges of, of it. Um, so but for me, wild. it's like it's one of the reasons that I'm fascinated with Star Wars is because it has uh tension. Sometimes like intentionally, and then yeah. sometimes not so intentionally. Where like. Yeah, three P and R two are kind of our friends, and people are mostly cool to R two, but pretty damn mean to three P O. And these these beings, it is an iron giant like journey. They are clearly sentient. They clearly have wants and needs, and they clearly mm -hmm. you know evolve from their programming. Uh, and then it puts us in this weird space to be like, do I want to absolutely think Han Solo is a jerk? <laughs> yeah, like what is going anyway? That's a that's a whole different conversation that I'm sure you could spend four to five of your other podcasts talking about. But I, that happening was just like, okay, everybody, what door are we opening? Here? Because uh, that's yeah. uh, very, but I think, it, up. I think it goes to what you're saying, uh, pulling away from it, you know, actually nerding out about Star Wars particular. Uh, it goes to kind of what you're saying about robots that I think that there is something about them. Maybe it is because they are so close to human or whenever we create them yeah. it, fictionally, it seems like we try to give them some aspect of humanity that makes us like them. Yeah. That they are really a way into this really great conversation, like your musical of like, you know, uh, I, I want to be human, but there are obstacles, they're internal, they're external, they're yeah. other people's uh, assumptions. That, so it makes it really compelling that robots are about the journey to humanity. Yes. Or sometimes not even. Or sometimes or, not. Okay. Being themselves. Um, you were saying in fiction, they, we humanize them. We also humanize like robots in real life. You yes. know, we're always putting eyeballs on printers and stuff. Um, do you? So, I'm very fascinated by um, certain real life robots. Do you know about Mr. Trash Wheel? I do not know about Mr. Trash Wheel. Okay, Mr. Trash Wheel is, um, uh, I mean, a device, right? It's not even that smart. I don't think, in terms of, I don't know if it's. A robot i don't care about these distinctions so it's a it's like a boat it's a self-standing boat it looks like a little like it, it, it's in it's in the harbor at in baltimore maryland and what it does is it eats trash <laughs> um and they put big eyes on it it's not very big it's like the size of it, it kind of looks to me like the size of like a car it has a family 
that and that that are all over the different different coasts you know there's there's um i think there's a miss trash wheel i think there's a non-binary trash wheel um they are so delightful yeah okay mr trash wheel professor trash wheel <laughs> captain trash wheel Gwenna the good wheel of the west um yeah so they just sit there they have these like big like like kind of conveyor belt that brings trash into their mouths and then the, the that keeps the harbors clean um they <laughs> this is their website okay mr trash wheel <laughs> installed may 9th 2014 likes pizza boxes pythons and star wars <laughs> even the prequels okay we don't have to fight mr Trashwell. dislikes single use plastics fat birds and ducks uh but denies ever eating one. Oh my god um it has a subreddit it's <laughs> professor Trashwell is the is the lady okay that's okay. the lady is professor Trashwell. likes beyonce eleanor roosevelt thomas dolby and sea otters <laughs> <laughs> dislikes low tide strong winds and the patriarchy so like it's just the most delightful it's just like and you immediately are like well i love them yeah yeah is your do you think your love of them is related to like okay we, so we've humanized them and, and given them this sort of a, a rich internal life where they're picking favorite animals <laughs> and singers but in reality <laughs> They have this great clarity that that we don't often get to have of like yes. they have one job. They just eat trash. They're doing such a good job. <laughs> Mr. Trash will apparently ate a python once. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is something that Aubrey and I are constantly just love to praise things that just like, oh, they're doing their best. They're doing their job <laughs> and they just love it. They just love it. And like, that's that's it. Right. Like. I am so into this yeah. robot who's just and, nailing it every day. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that power to like it's all the stuff with the rovers too of like just like good job, you keep going, you know. There's yeah. that that real like opportunity to sort of humanize the effort that's being put in. Good pun. Oh, <laughs> uh, but there's also that like I just it you know one of the things that's not listed on any of the trash wheels is questions whether eating trash is what they really should have been doing. <laughs> Or should they go to grad school? Like it's, uh, alternate it's... aspiration, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I don't know. I think for me, there's that that uh, uh that's point. what sometimes makes them relatable and sometimes scary. Of like, you know, they're programmed for one thing and they won't stop until they do that one thing. Is is both scary, but then in <laughs> when it's eating trash, it's like, oh god, the relief of that. Uh, yeah, that does seem really nice. <laughs> Maybe we all How... wish we were Mr. Trashville. How do you feel about? Uh, you know the, the this great um, humanization of everything, putting eyeballs on printers, as you said. How how do you feel about that when it comes to things like you know uh, phones and Siri and Alexa? Do you feel like oh. you're interacting with a robot, or is it more like a sentience floating through the air? <laughs> I'm one of those people who won't talk to Siri usually um, because it does freak me out a little bit. <laughs> I'll I'll give a command like I'll transcribe but I don't like it when she talks back um because <laughs> I'm worried about her. This is interesting yeah cuz a lot of people do like like comedy routines or whatever about like whether people say please to their alexas and I I am um also uh I hate Alexa 
I hate okay. people who have that. I'm so sorry if anybody, if I'm setting off your <laughs> Alexa, play teaching a robot to love by the double clicks. Okay. Um, the, I hate, I don't like being in a house where everything is controlled by a robot because if it doesn't work right, um, it's so much more frustrating than just doing it yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, I am a little creeped out by Amazon watching you all the time and I'm a little bit, and I just, I don't, I don't like voice activation. I love buttons, um, but I don't, I don't, and I don't like talking and yelling. I don't like yelling or getting frustrated with a robot like it's a person. Yeah. I, I don't like that in reality. Um, yeah. Cause I, I don't. I have friends who have Alexa in their house and I hate it. Yeah, for you, is it like, well, that's like, it's almost like you're talking to Data or C-3PO, but they don't have agency. Mm, yeah. I don't know that it's actually the agency that bothers me that much, as much as it is really frustrating, because I don't feel like I'm being understood. <laughs> okay. I think it's more about me. Um, but it is like, I don't like being mad at somebody. I don't like what that says about me. Um, being mad about somebody who can't do, do anything about it, you know, yeah. they're trying, they are trying their best, you know, but they're, I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. A thing that I say to computers a lot when I get angry is <laughs> 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 you think you're so damn smart oh. because I think what I run into is when it, I, I realize I've never thought about it this way. I'm being Han Solo to, you know, my yeah. computer or to algorithms because they're they are trying to anticipate my needs. Yeah. And then it's frustrating when they get them kind of half wrong and particularly frustrating if, you know, they're insisting on searching for something the way that they think you want and there's not a good way in yeah. the interface to go that's not what I meant. <laughs> I think I'm overly sympathetic. Okay, except in the case of voice activation, which I try to avoid because I don't think it just doesn't work to me. I am very sympathetic towards computers. Like this is to a point where like I teach a lot of classes to creators on like how to use Instagram and how to, you know, make Kickstarter work for you. Right. And I'm so sympathetic. Like if they're like, Oh, it's not working. I'm like, well, it's probably your fault. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm very much on the side of the machine, which is programmed by a person. And I think probably the fact that I've done a little bit of programming in my life, I'm like, well, it's trying to help you. Um, I'm very much on the side of the machine's, um, at least being like, well, yes, it's broken, but they probably did that because it was the most, the way to help the most people or whatever. Um, very irritating, but sometimes there's like, often you just have to deal with that <laughs> and <laughs> anger is not going to help. Um, right. um, but again, yeah, if I have to talk to a robot, I'd really rather not. So how do you, if there actually was a robot apocalypse if Siri or Alexa or some yeah. other algorithm became sentient. Uh, what do you think that would actually be like? How would you actually feel or how do you think it might actually um, uh, re represent itself? I mean, I would hope um, it would represent itself in the way that it does in the musical. Um, so <laughs> I, I would hope that if a robot like, uh, well, I don't know what a robot's goals would be, but it f seems like frequently, you know, your matrix or whatever, robots, robots want to optimize 
either their own survival or the planet's survival, right? right. Um, I would hope it would be the planet's survival. <laughs> um, so that would just mean like, let's let's just take away human the human the the inefficient human choices that are ruining the planet. Yeah. Um, and just put up solar panels over all the billionaires houses and you know whatever <laughs> and make everything socialism um uh that's what i would want to happen it's just like okay you don't have choice anymore we're doing the right thing uh the other option would be like if they just want to make the world their oyster would probably just be the matrix i think the wachowski sisters probably figure that one out <laughs> they'd just be like okay we're gonna feed off of you and cover the sun which yeah is, i mean which is too bad <laughs> but we did have a coming so <laughs> <laughs> fair enough so uh, that that would be your response to uh the robot apocalypse is either thank you or fair enough yeah, your I mean, turn. yeah i guess like i was trying to picture it and i think i'll just do what they say because they they're smarter than we are <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems like you're very obsessed with robots. So I'm going to ask you some how obsessed are you questions. Okay, great. Uh, there are no right or wrong answers. Great. Uh, do you think about robots every day? Yeah, I do. Obviously, I do. <laughs> uh, and that was before the musical uh, was on your mind as much? That, that it was just a natural thing for you to, to daydream about yeah. robot friends? Yes. Um, there are a couple books that I read over and over again. One is A Closed and Common Orbit. And one is... Well, the Murderbot series, all of the books <laughs> in the Murderbot series, um, All Systems Red is the first one. Um, and I, I've read them each 20 times, probably. They're my favorite books, um, and they're both about robots um, with feelings. And I think about them a lot. So, yeah, I would say yes. Okay. Yeah, those sound like great books. Recommend. Murderbot is a robot who is a security consultant, but all they want to do is watch is binge watch TV. Um, it's so good. <laughs> that sounds great. And what is the title of the other one? Uh, a closed in common orbit, which is a Becky chambers book. Um, it's about a robot named Sidra and um, she gets kicked out of her job as being of being a ship's AI and put into a body um, and then she has to go pretend to be a person and has to decide whether she wants to pretend to be a person. Um, and uh, she does some like a cool heist. Um, and it's it's very it's very good. It's very that good. sounds amazing. She gets a um, tattoo. <laughs> it's good uh, stuff. of of uh, of uh, Professor Trashwheel of Professor Trashwheel. Yep. <laughs> And Thomas Dolby and Eleanor Roosevelt all hanging out. <laughs> Playing poker with dogs. Great. Yeah. Uh, this might be related to the the musical, uh, but if human brains could be put into robot bodies to prevent like death or serious illness, would you want that for yourself? Would you want to be a brain in a robot body? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if I could design the body. Um that would be that be fresh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you were designing the body, what do you think? Would you try to make like a robot avatar of yourself or would you just kind of go crazy with robot aesthetic? <laughs> I'm trying to think about whether I'd want to be like R2-D2 or like a tiny bear, you know? Um, have you watched the new Doctor Who? 
Yes. Uh, like those big dogs, you know? Yeah. Like there's a lot of good options out there. Um, <laughs> okay. The sky's the limit. Yeah, I really feel like when you're presented with that opportunity, you know, go crazy. Have some design fun. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be Inspector Gadget aspects to it. Oh, yeah. Because if you're going to be really small, you want to be able to bounce. <laughs> um, but I think, feel like cute and ferocious are the are the watchwords there. Cute and ferocious. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of taking a step back from actually becoming a robot. But mm -hmm. uh, would you ever cosplay at a convention as a favorite robot? Oh, I would love to do that. I would love. I would love. Yeah. Do when you see um, costumes, do you like when you see like somebody in like a super realistic uh, fictional robot costume, or do you like it more when you see people in the like I'm <laughs> I'm wearing a, a cardboard box that says beep boop bop. <laughs> I like both of those. I think, I think, um, I, my favorite cosplay is just super specific cosplay, like something that only like three people are going to get. And that's, that's my favorite. You know, that reminds me, I actually did play a robot in my high school, in a high school, you know, middle school drama club play. Really? Yeah. And I wore a shiny gold shirt, like C3PO. It was my sister's shirt. I don't remember anything else about it. You don't remember like what kind of robot it was, or I think I had a, a couple lines, but um, no, couldn't really tell you <laughs> other than I was Fair in enough. it. Fair <laughs> <laughs> well, th enough. Those are two facts. You had a shiny shirt and you were in it, so yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, have you ever had, or would you want to have, a dream about robots? Oh yeah, I'm sure I've had a dream about robots. I don't. No, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think I had a robot dream the other night, uh, probably just watching so many robot stuff. And I can't remember what the robot wanted, mm -hmm. but the robot wanted something. And everybody's like, of course, of course, you know, let's make that happen for you. <laughs> yeah. No, you've got to, you got to give the robots what they want. <laughs> but it was really like the robot was having, having a hard time. Like, you're like, come on, man. I, I want a ham sandwich. Like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really nice of you. Uh, I don't know what I was working through with that, uh, bringing ham to a robot, but <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, if R2-D2 was real <gasps> and had a GoFundMe, would oh. you back it? Yeah, what does R2-D2 need? Yeah, I mean, that, that that would be the really interesting thing. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about it uh, when I picked R2-D2 for that question, because R2-D2 is normally the one like, uh, you humans are kind of messing this up, I'll come along behind you and, and fix it. There's yeah. a lot of times he fixes things and nobody even knows right so wh what would have to be going wrong in the world well maybe r2d2 is like always he always shows up you know maybe he has like a secret spaceship that he's just like i'm always fixing this stuff i never tell anybody <laughs> how i get there or how i do it and maybe that would just be a conversation about like hey your friends are still gonna love you even if you aren't hyper competent behind the scenes like it's okay to also be vulnerable, you know, and maybe right. that's a conversation we should have. Like, I'm happy to back a GoFundMe, absolutely, but like, let's make sure that you don't, you're not just like plugging a hole here with this GoFundMe and you're actually <laughs> building a sustainable relationship with your friends where you can ask for what you need, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. And, and, and uh, promoting that idea that uh, just because you're kind of known as a helper like R2D2 doesn't mean that yeah. sometimes you don't need help too. Yeah, exactly. 
I think I've actually slipped and done this a couple times, but my grandma used to call robots robots all the time. <laughs> just getting either lazy in her pronunciation or just truly that. thought it was robot. Uh, does that bother you when you hear somebody say, "Yeah, I love robots." I like it because it's like the cowboy pronunciation of robot. Uh, and I, anytime robots can be in like a different genre, I think is a good thing for us. Right. We need cowboy robots and, and yeah. pirate uh, robots. That just reminds me of something I've been thinking about a lot recently is that when I was a kid, I got the words musician and magician messed up a lot. And my father was a musician. Um, I am also a musician. Um, and so that that's just something I think about a lot. I just could never, because magician doesn't sound like magic, when especially when you're, you know, a five-year-old in the South. Um, no. Those words don't actually sound like, musician also doesn't sound like music, you know? So anyway, Right, of course. Let's yeah, work no. on language, everybody. <laughs> let's work on our language. I Robo- love the idea robot like is a... fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm a top 40 magician. <laughs> yes would you watch a season of great british bake-off where all of the contestants were robots oh interesting yes like current (laughs) robots or because a problem with a lot of the robots now like human form robots is that they're very uncanny valley yeah. But if but if we're talking about the fictional robots that I love now or Mr. Trashwheel, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, there's, it's a, right. There's a huge distinction between like, yeah, like the you keep seeing on social media, the robot dogs, you know, or like it, Boston Dynamics or something, which are horrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably. Yeah, there is a show. That you'll have to pirate now because it's on Netflix and we don't use that anymore. But it is um, that was an engineering bake off show, mm. and it was they did have to make a robot. In okay, it, it was it was <laughs> um, the whole time they were really trying to get the word baconeers going. <laughs> They're like bakers and engineers, which I could only hear the word bacon and engineer. <laughs> right, baconeers. this is. This is like musician, magician. That's like, of yeah. course, that means somebody who pioneers bacon, a baconeer. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds like bacon pioneers, not like baking engineers. Um, <laughs> anyway, but they, they, you know, it was it was interesting them trying to make like baking robots. I guess they tried to bake robots, not tried to make baking robots. <laughs> anyway. I would love to see baking robots on Great British Bake Off where yeah. where they are like really specific robots. Like this robot has been designed to make, <laughs> uh, you know, cakes only. And this one's great at pies. And this one can do open face sandwiches. And like, so when those weeks come up, they're they're just killing it. Then the other weeks are like, oh, what do I know about bread? I like maybe they're like Rube Goldberg machines. They just put the wrong materials in every week. And they're like, I don't know. I'm using the uh, creaming method, but I'm supposed to be making donuts. Uh, that's uh, why you make puff pastry for everything. We asked you for a taco and you made puff pastry. Okay. All right. Fair that enough. would be good. Yeah. Oh, man. That sounds like tons of fun. Uh, here's my final How Obsessed are, are You question. Thank you. Uh, if you sat down to watch your favorite TV show or movie, but a robot bear stole your remote, would you try to get the remote back from the robot bear? Um, 
what would the robot bear do with the remote? I think it would just start running. Oh. Uh, I mean, I'd probably follow it for a while and try to have a conversation <laughs> with it. Because this is like, does it need the remote? Or Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah. Yeah, that's... It can it can have the remote. I can get a new one. Um <laughs> but I would like to know know them. Like they they sound cool. I I'm I I need to know like 80 more pages of this story, I guess. <laughs> I think this this tells me a lot that you are okay. very invested in robots because you would not be frightened of a, a robot bear. You'd want to ascertain yeah. uh, their needs. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Got to know. Got to know how they're doing. Um, need to know their vibe. Unless they were like too Furby like, um, in which case I am out. <laughs> <laughs> the weird fake fur and uh, big eyes is a deal breaker. I just think Furbies have had too hard of a life to be redeemed at this point. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you to make a noise to sum up your obsession with robots? Ooh, yeah. Uh, beep boop. <laughs> Loud and declarative. And I want to ask you to rate your obsession. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, where would you place your obsession? Um, I would place my obsession at a 10. I wanted to say it in binary, but I, I couldn't do it fast enough. So <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. So that's a one, zero, one, zero, I think is 10 in binary. Okay. But so I could is that be a, wrong. Okay. This is far out of uh, the expertise that I have uh, myself programmed for. Great. Excellent. <laughs> So we'll move on to the plugging section of the podcast. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you personally, anywhere you want to be found on social media, and uh, also uh, the info about where to get the album? Yes, please. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter at Laser M Weber with two Bs and Laser with an S. Um, I'm on Instagram at Laser MW, um, still with an S. And then, and the, that's pretty fun. I, I'm, I, you know, sometimes I, I got cool hair and sometimes I make my own clothes um, and rant about things at night, um, but in a fun way. Um, and then you should definitely check out the musical. It's the best way to do that is teaching a robot to love.com. Oh, nice. Uh, where you can find things like the video game <laughs> that we made uh, and the information on how to pre-order the musical, which is available right now for pre-order on iTunes and Amazon and Bandcamp. Um, and uh, uh, we made a bunch of videos that you can watch now um, for the for the songs. And yeah, so teachingarobottolove.com, teachingarobottolove.com. <laughs> that sounds great. And the, the idea of a video game for this is absolutely amazing. I'm so proud of it. It's, I mean, I didn't make it. My friend Kevin did, but he, it's, it's an in-universe video game. So the main character is a programmer and she makes a fan game for her favorite TV show, which is called Scientist Space Girl, which is like a future tech version of uh, Sailor Moon because she's lesbian. Oh, wow. And um, it's, uh, it's a Sailor Moon. It's a game that she makes that's supposed to be a fan game for her favorite TV show, but it's about actually the like stuff she's going through in her life. Um, so, but it's a that's fun really side cool. scroller and you get to turn into a hedgehog. 
<laughs> I love that idea of a, a video game within a fictional world. That's so cool. Yeah, very proud of it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So here's some uh, quick plugs uh, for the podcast, and then we will wrap up with our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out that Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Force Center. Info on upcoming shows, comedy albums, and all that kind of stuff you can find on my website at josephscrimshot.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, here are the final questions. Which would you rather be able to shoot out of your hands, lightning or a breakfast cereal? Can I change the breakfast cereal or is it one, one always? Uh, no, I think you can have a variety pack breakfast cereal hands. I think breakfast cereal, just to be <laughs> honest. I Lightning feels helpful, but I, I don't think I'm that kind of person. Yeah, no, I, I can see that, you yeah. know, breakfast cereal is far more practical than yeah. Lightning. Yeah. Yeah, so good choice. Uh, if you had the power to teleport to any one location, where would you want to be able to teleport to? Ooh, like a hearthstone in World of Warcraft? Yes. Um, could I come? You can't come back from it. You just go there. Oh, no, you can. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So it's like. For a- me, it's just like that sort of you're out in the world and you can pop to one location and you can, you know, pop back. But it's almost more like just you can kind of jump to one place, jump oh, back. Right. So, you, like, I mean, you kind you go practice. Most practical one would be like you can just go home. I suppose uh, so. uh, <laughs> then it doesn't matter where you are but i'm kind of <laughs> tempted to say um the jane austen center in bath mm-hmm. england because that was the most <laughs> fun day i've had in a very long time that is amazing so yeah. the jane austen experience you said it's the jane austen center um they it's like a little museum they have a lot of portraits of jane austen none of which are actually portraits of jane austen which is delightful um because there's no existing portrait there's just a lot of pictures of a lady named jane that lived in the same town she did um you can dress up like colin firth in pride and prejudice um and then uh there's a tea house that has a large oil painting of colin firth in pride and prejudice like not mr darcy but like actually colin firth yeah, um, actually Colin Firth. And you can buy like a Colin Firth pillowcase. It's basically a Colin Firth museum. <laughs> um, and you can have tea and all of the people who work there, their name tags say names of different characters from Jane Austen novels. So like, you know, Mr. Collingsworth or whatever will serve yeah. the tea and all the sisters from, you know, Sense and Sensibility will sell you things in the gift shop. It's the best. Oh, wow. Yeah. I-, I wish that I could teleport there right now. It, it's and i think bath is nice i think it's like a nice town right we didn't really spend that much time there but um the best part was that we got there we were on tour and we had all of our shit with us like all of our instruments all of our suitcases um and there was nowhere to put them so um whoever it was the love interest from emma uh let us put his <laughs> our stuff in his office which was down a flight of stairs it was great Oh, that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. There's the the famous Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Would you want a robot version of Pride and Prejudice? Yes. <laughs> Clear. Um, where, Love it. Okay. Who's oh, okay? Sorry. I just want to talk forever. I'm trying to decide who's the zombie or who's the who's the secret robot. And I think it's 
Darcy. And that's the big secret that people are trying to like tell. Um, uh, her name's Jane, right? It, and, and then they're like, but you don't want him. He's secretly a robot. And then she's <laughs> like, oh, I don't care. You know, at the end. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. That'd be very interesting when he when he goes in the pond, right? Oh yeah, but still very sexy. <laughs> yes, it's exactly the same as normal, except for there's some literal sparks coming off of him. Yes. <laughs> Final question for everyone on the podcast is: What is happiness? Happiness is getting lost in a non-monetizable hobby. <laughs> <laughs> And also robot Colin Firth oh, emerging I, from a lake. Those are two, two great answers. Yeah. I feel rich in yeah. good answers. But yes, a non-monetizable hobby. That is absolutely amazing. I want to build a, a robot uh, whose job is to stop me from monetizing my hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> and then monetize that robot, sell it to other people. <laughs> Perfect. We cracked it. We're both instantly rich right now. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Do you have any any final thoughts or anything that you uh, wanted to be sure to say about robots? Oh, my gosh. No, but thank you so much, Joseph. It's so delightful to talk to you. Yeah, this has been absolutely great. Thank you so much, uh, Laser, and thank you, everyone, for listening. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.